Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Last episode, we explored the concept of the conditioned mind or all of those conditioned thoughts and habits that live in our subconscious that were often created in childhood and repeated through life. Throughout that episode, we referenced beliefs quite a few times. And because the topic is so large, and actually we devote a section of that particular topic in our new workbook, How to Meet Yourself, we decided to devote an entire episode to diving in to chat about beliefs today. Well, our previous episode on the conditioned mind didn't directly correlate with the workbook, which is How to Meet Yourself, for those wondering what workbook we keep referring to. Um, that was actually the previous section that comes right before the belief section in the workbook. So whether you do or do not have your own copy of How to Meet Yourself, we have devoted these How to Meet Yourself episodes to taking you through the tools and concepts in work so that you have a guided path and support if you do have the workbook and you're doing the work, but also so you have access to these tools and concepts. Even if you do not have the workbook, you can still tune in and be a part of the same conversation with the same tools with us. So beliefs, really simply, we're going to break beliefs down as really what they are, a practiced thought that is grounded in our lived experience. What does that mean? It's a practice thought that actually comes from our reality or our existence, largely formed in our early childhood. In childhood, we are all born in that pure state of awareness. And at the same time, we are reliant really on those around us to help us make sense of everything that's happening inside our bodies, inside our relationships, inside our homes and outside our homes and the world around us. And so we're really looking wide-eyed, absorbing all of the messaging to help us gain a sense of certainty so that we can begin to understand ourselves and where we fit into the world. And of course, then the more habitually we hear the same interpretations, the same meanings, the same narrations, the more likely then we become to embody them ourselves, to narrate our life in the same way or over time to begin to believe the same things. So really in childhood, our minds are like a sponge, a sponge that is growing and molding in response to the environment in which it lives. And if you did tune into the last episode on the conditioned mind, I described the conditioned mind as a mind within a mind. And that really resonated with a lot of you because we have our being and we have this mind. Our conditioned mind, where these beliefs are stored, is that mind within a mind. It's essentially that sponge that we're referring to here that is a child's mind. If we're looking at this sponge or this molding mind, say, as a forest, I give this example often, you have a huge forest with all of these different pathways in it. Well, as you're saying, Nicole, when you repeatedly hear your parents, caregivers, the environment around you consistently saying certain things or behaving in certain ways or treating you in a certain way, the repetition of every single one of those events creates and defines a pathway in our mind. So you have this molding, conditioned mind of a child that has all of these pathways being laid down in it 
based on the environment in which they live. Those pathways being laid are what form and shape over time our core beliefs. I think what's really important to note here is that while it is, of course, the things that we explicitly or directly heard voiced or you know, kind of stated by the caregivers around us, um, many of us are even more greatly impacted, not by what is directly said, but by what we indirectly in experience or really simply what we witness happening in action, what we see others doing, how we see them acting. And I think this is really highlighted in all the different areas of, you know, ritual or ceremony or, you know, these certain ways of being that are often associated with with culture, with religion, you know, with holidays, with certain time periods where it's not necessarily directly how we're instructed, though, of course, some of those areas do come with direct instruction. It's how the people are being usually right to embody a sense of morality or a good person versus bad person. So it doesn't necessarily even have to be something specifically said that is going to impact us. Though all of these actions that so many of us, you know, see enact it in the world around us that then come to create and form our beliefs. We always tell the parents who are doing this work or any caregiver, teacher, anyone looking after another that children will learn most from what you do, not what you say. They are watching you. They are mimicking you. They will learn your behaviors. So even if you're thinking, you know, a child's off in a, another room consistently or you're out of the home, even in those moments, that child is constantly scanning its whereabouts and learning and creating itself as a relational being, witnessing how you speak about and respond to things like money or politics, everything that's going on in your environment. So it's really important. I'm glad you noted that, that it's not just what you're hearing or a direct action. Most of our beliefs are actually formed from that indirectness. As a child, we don't have this ability to turn on my conscious awareness and then turn it off. We are just there in our being in our human vessel with a mind that is scanning and constantly absorbing everything around it without a filter of choosing to or not. It's just there. It's absorbing and it's absorbing how you are, how you respond, the energy that is around you, not just what you're saying or not saying. Yeah. And I think two, you know, really quick, easy examples of this, um, kind of really practical in terms of the physical body. You know, you could have two parents, caregivers who are directly telling you all of the reasons why, you know, it's important to care for your physical body, though, in their own action, in their own physical self-care, they completely, you know, avoid or or actually betray or even maybe self-harm their physical body. And similarly, in the emotional realm of things, we could have very well-intentioned caregivers urging us to, you know, be sad. It's okay to express your emotions, yet if from that same caregiver you never see any expression of sadness, then the power really is going to be in that teaching, right? So while I'm hearing, yeah, it's okay and it's natural and everyone's sad, if I'm not actually seeing moments where that person is sharing sadness with me, that's going to be the believed message on a deeper level, that there is something inherently shameful. And I'm just using that language because I think that's typically what is the first feeling is it's inappropriate to be sad or else why wouldn't mom, dad, or whomever be showing me the sadness in the moment. So beliefs are impacted by actions. And this is, again, where I think we have a lot of well-intentioned parents 
who are reading the parenting manuals, who are saying the right things, though, given their own past experiences, their own conditioned mind, tying all this together, they're in action communicating something completely different, sometimes in complete opposition to what they're even saying. And for everyone who is one of those parents, caregivers, reading those manuals, listening to this podcast, doing the work to essentially save our children from the trauma that we went through. This is what I hear often. An old friend actually reached out to me on another social media app to let me know that our parent daughter TikTok videos that Nicole and I do had been showing up on her feed and her and her ex-partner, you know, really use them and value the teachings in them for their own co-parenting experience. And the goal is we don't want to mess up our kids. We want to mess them up the least that we possibly can. So we say this with a lot of awareness and compassion too, that so many of you are doing all of the things to help your children, to help heal your children when that work will always begin first with yourself. You can't create an environment for children to grow into their own authentic beliefs that are true and and real for them if you have no idea what your own beliefs are, if you're still ingrained with these conditioned beliefs from the past and living outwardly with them as if that's your true expression because you're completely unaware of the conditioned mind that lives within you that holds these beliefs. So first and foremost, always, we have to reflect our own image and hold a mirror up to ourselves to begin this work in discovering for ourselves first and understand what a belief is, why it's even here, why it sticks around for so long until I choose to become aware of it and change it before you can go about supporting your children. And that will naturally happen. Your children will watch you discovering your own self, your own beliefs, your own true self. They're going to witness you going through this whole awareness and healing process. They're also going to learn that. They're going to begin to modeling themselves tuning into their own authentic self because they've learned and witnessed that from you. I want to go back to you kind of acknowledging how difficult or the reality that, you know, of importance, let me start there, of seeing our own reflection. And I just want to kind of speak a bit about how difficult it can be to even see our reflection when we begin this journey, because the way beliefs operate, again, outside of our awareness, I want to go back to that um, iceberg image that you like to paint of with all of the subconscious mind submerged right below the ocean or the water, whatever it might be. Those beliefs so powerfully embedded in our subconscious mind actually set us up to be a self-confirming system of only seeing evidence of those beliefs in our current experience, leaving us what we believe is no other option but to believe that because it's now become quote unquote truth for us. And what I'm talking about here is a part of our brain called the reticular activating system, whose main service it provides for us is it acts as a filter um, because we have just entirely too much stimulation in any given moment to tend to at any given time. We have a million things happening externally. We have some things happening internally. We need to decide essentially what's relevant for us and what's important to pay attention to in any given moment. And I'm sure many of you listening have experienced your reticular activating system when you've been in a crowded room and been able to tune into either your name or what sounds like your name spoken by someone, you know, maybe on the other side of the room. Why is that? There's so much noise, there's so much communication, 
conversation. Why is it now that you're able to tune in to someone so far away that you couldn't hear earlier because your name had relevance in that moment? And that's just a simple example of the moments where we're filtering. We're not paying attention to the rest of the room of conversation because what's relevant or possibly relevant to me in that moment is whoever's talking about me or or using my name in that corner. So wanting to use that as an example to illustrate how we're always filtering the world around us. So we could have in any given moment evidence in favor of our belief and evidence disproving our deep-rooted belief And we will immediately, our RAS, thank you, will delete out everything that's not going to confirm that belief, that reality, because we like to be right. We feel certainty. We feel safe in that rightness. So we'll delete out any opposing information and continue to self-confirm and verify and really just strengthen over time this, what originated as a thought, got repeated so much, grounded by this continued confirmation, and now we're left with no other possibility but to determine that that is indeed our truth. I think it's so powerful to learn or have this awareness and understanding of RAS or this reticular activating system because it's finding familiarity to affirm and to strengthen. So When you're picturing that iceberg that Nicole just described, you know, you see that little tip of the iceberg above the water. Well, 90% of it is all submerged. You don't see that. That's where our beliefs lie. That's that conditioned mind or this mind within a mind. It's the submerged iceberg. So when there's all of that familiarity in this 90% of that submerged iceberg always happening in the background, but we're unaware of it. It's like the things that we're affirming are completely out of our control. This is where this concept of autopilot comes in because we are still here existing, living our lives. However, our reticular activating system is finding all of the familiarity from those submerged beliefs, that submerged iceberg, this conditioned mind. It's finding all the familiarity of that scanning our external environment always 24-7 to find affirmation to strengthen what is submerged under that iceberg. So if we don't take the time to become aware of this conditioned mind and the beliefs that live within it in that submerged part of our iceberg, then we are living as our human self, but expressing outward in the world with actions, behaviors, relationships, that are all a response to the driving factor of the beliefs in that conditioned mind. That submerged iceberg is essentially in the driver's seat of this body in our lives. So while it's largely, you know, outside of our our witnessing or our attentional sphere, I mean, in terms of its its impact, in addition to this filtering that we're just talking about, I mean, it, it will continue our beliefs that is continuing to impact how we perceive ourselves, our relationships, the world around us, and ultimately then impacting how we show up to ourselves, to care for ourselves, how we show up or express ourselves within our relationship, or again, who we are as we walk out into the world around us or who we embody. And to speak to your beautiful point, Jenna, for so many of us, right, our beliefs are driving those perceptions, those habitual actions that some of us, you know, somewhere down the line, we've become our entire lives and our relationships in the world around us has become a reflection of those childhood beliefs, not actually a reflection of us, the conscious being, you know, on the tip of the iceberg that can begin to make new choices 
all of our world becomes a reflection of those old reactive habits that have almost been made for us outside of our awareness this whole time. Almost been made for us, but it's really important here to note that while they've almost been made for us, they have also been made by us. Even if we weren't consciously aware or connected in those moments, that doesn't negate that we are the ones responsible for our lives as they are. We are responsible for the choices we make, the actions that we take, whether we were conscious of them or not, which is why there's so much empowerment in even your willingness to tune into a conversation about beliefs and to begin to get curious about your own hidden beliefs. Because before that curiosity and willingness comes in to really do the digging to lift the veil on your own hidden beliefs, we are responsible for our lives. However, we haven't necessarily been a conscious active participant. We've sort of just been here cruising along. And then a lot of us, myself included years ago, sort of open our eyes one day in our lives and look around thinking, why is my childhood here? All I, you know, all I wanted to avoid my whole life was to not become my mother and father. How have I become my mother and father? Everything that I feared my whole life, everything that I didn't want, why is it all here? Why am I recreating exactly where I came from when that's the last place I ever wanted to be? Well, when you can understand this idea of beliefs in that hidden iceberg and the conditioned mind that is really running the show, we all have an opportunity to give ourselves a little bit of compassion. And especially for the parents, caregivers, teachers, anyone looking after another, caretakers, Compassion for yourself, too, in witnessing your own self, realizing I am where I am right now. I wound up here based on whatever's in the past. I can't unhappen that. But I'm here now. Now I can choose to look objectively and compassionately and lift the veil to what be what might be driving my own behavior. What hidden beliefs do I have that I'm even unaware of that are actually creating the relationships and the life around me. I think a lot of us, I love that that image of kind of waking up and seeing the childhood to whatever extent that may or may not be present for each of us. And you know, the reality of it is the large majority of us that have experienced or been a byproduct of intergenerational trauma, right? Where these trauma-based, overwhelming, stress-based beliefs are embedded in our mind and body Right, do develop then some some really common core generalized beliefs about ourselves and the world around us. And, you know, they can look like this idea that I, I'm not safe or the world isn't safe. I'm not worthy or I'm not enough. I can't trust myself. I can't trust other people. So if at your core, you've come to believe that is true, likely connected to an unsafe childhood environment where you weren't resourced or equipped to deal with the stresses of daily life or the overwhelming stress of those acutely traumatic moments, what happens then is we adapt to those beliefs in very habitual ways. So now flash forward however many decades in time it is, if at your core, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, I'm not safe, I can't trust myself, I can't trust other people, what you're likely enacting is those habitual ways you've learned to deal with that or to make that okay or to cope. So it is very then understandable that what you're waking up to, to is some very similar, familiar replication 
of how it once was because you're still relying on the same adaptations because in your, at your core, you carry those same beliefs since childhood. They haven't changed. You've just grown. You've developed. There's different characters in your play, though at your core, that's how you're making sense of and, and interpreting the world. And without a way to create safety, create connection, create authenticity, you will rely on those same habitual habits that you once created in that childhood. If you're walking around with these core beliefs, which many of us do, that do boil down to, I can't trust another, I'm not safe, then that means we're looking at a world of adults that are really just children in adult bodies, all living life, making choices and designing lives, creating actions from a mindset of, I'm unsafe. I can't trust anyone. So we do zoom forward and kind of, I'm hoping each of you are able to have a better understanding of the fact that if those subconscious beliefs are driving this autopilot and this life up until now, then of course it has recreated what was in the past. And you, that identifying, connecting those dots can be really empowering because you can almost, you can turn down the volume of the shame cycle. You can't just eradicate it. It's there for a reason, but I like to look at it as turning down the volume, lessening the noise of the shaming of how did I end up here? How is this my life? I'm, I'm stuck. I'm not successful X, Y, and Z and offering a lot of love for this inner child, this inner part of you that is still in that molded, conditioned mind of your earliest environments that has been the one making all of these adult choices and dictating your life up until now. And you know, as we proceed, you know, and, and continue to be, you know, graceful and compassionate, what we're what we're doing is we're we're creating space for this witnessing, for us to see everything that is below the iceberg, see these beliefs in our daily habits, in our daily actions, maybe even our in our daily feelings to help give us that space so that we can begin to then over time separate from those beliefs, not assume those, wear those, or react or behave from those as our identity. So as always, as we often talk about changing, that will always be that first step is becoming conscious. What are the current beliefs that are coloring, filtering, and creating your daily experiences and doing so in a non-judgmental way. So I think it could be helpful now, those of you who have the workbook, um, we're talking from pages 97 and on. I think it goes for a couple different pages where um, we take readers and we're going to take you listeners right here right now through a bit of exploration about our core beliefs in different areas. An important note for whenever we do these self-explorations or inquiry questions with ourselves to remain objective and compassionate, which simply means to be kind to yourself and allow space for whatever comes up to come up. Any exploratory questions that we ever create are not given with a right or wrong answer. There is no right or wrong response here. It's simply a space for you to just witness and to also be mindful that asking yourselves these questions, being an inquiry, maybe for the first time, may also bring up or recall some memories, maybe you've forgotten them, that are in the past that are painful and do cause an emotional or painful response. So it's all the more reason for you to really practice 
being kind, if nothing else, just allowing space and acceptance for everything that does come up as you're simply beginning to notice all of the programming that was already there in your earliest environment. So allow some compassion and really just hold a big open container for whatever comes forward to come forward. That's where all of your wisdom is. That's where those hidden treasures are. Usually are in the things that trigger us the most or cause a physical and mental reaction the most. Okay. So to go with the core beliefs, as Nicole, you mentioned, there are probably billions upon billions of beliefs. We're looking here at core beliefs and have broken them down into sections for you to look at. So those specifically coming from the workbook are your core beliefs around race and ethnicity, religion or spirituality, relationships, beliefs around gender, feelings, money, beliefs around money, your vocation or purpose, your career, worldview, beliefs about the world at large, beliefs around sexuality or physical affection, so beliefs around intimacy, and beauty ideals, or beliefs around beauty ideals. Each of these are listed in the workbook then with a series of reflective questions. What comes to mind when thinking about each of these topics? That's the first baseline question in each of these. Race, gender, money, worldview, intimacy. When you hear those buzzwords, what's the first thing that comes to mind? This is a really important spot to witness what comes forward, to witness your thoughts. There's nothing wrong with the thoughts that come forward. This is not moral. We are not marking things right or wrong. If you start judging yourself, that's okay too. Just turn the judgment volume down and shift back to simply witnessing everything that comes forward when you hear these hot topics. When I think about race, what do I think about? What have I learned? What comes forward? I really love that suggestion, Jenna. I just want to piggyback that on. Um, for a lot of you, that might just mean free associating or just literally writing down exactly, you know, clipped words, phrases, maybe things that don't even logically make sense or you can't, you know, you don't necessarily understand why these two, you know, ideas came together or came up for you. And with that mindset around curiosity as opposed to judgment, that might be the most practical way to engage with this episode where you take out a notebook and, you know, as you go through those different pillars, just simply write down anything and everything, images, ideas, words, whatever it is, without trying to first make sense of it. I think so many of us go quickly to, okay, well, what does this say about my belief? How would I word my belief? How would I describe my belief to someone else when really what most of us are first given are things that aren't sensical or aren't logical and just allowing ourselves to be with, like you're saying very beautifully, whatever it is that is coming to mind in thought around these pillared areas will help you over time begin to make sense of what those beliefs could be. Yeah, the more clear and honest you allow yourself to be with yourself now, the stronger that connection, the stronger your awareness you will have about your own beliefs. And remember that as you're going through these exploratory questions or just witnessing, well, what comes up? What is my handwriting as I'm just letting my thoughts stream onto a piece of paper? Keep in mind that this isn't your ideal. This isn't what you want your beliefs to be. It's not how you want to 
view sex or money or the world. It is taking an objective note of your current self based on where you are right now, which is a combination of everything that's happened in the past up until this moment. You're just taking note of where you are right now. We're not, there's nothing to fix or change here. So we're not reaching to give the best answer that we want to have. We are giving an honest answer to ourselves about where we are right now, reminding ourselves constantly that where you are right now means literally nothing. It means that you are here where you are right now. And there is a massive opportunity for you to celebrate and acknowledge the fact that you're sitting here listening or watching a podcast or going through a workbook to dive into these hidden beliefs that may or may not have been running the show your entire life until now. That's huge. Not everyone commits to that work. Not everyone wants to do that work. And that's okay. Though you were called here for a reason, you're choosing to. So really take a moment to, to celebrate and acknowledge yourself for being willing to dive into these conversations because while it's available to everyone, it certainly is not for everyone. I just want to speak to that just for one quick point because I imagine as many of you engage with these explorations and you do begin to notice whatever thoughts are in your mind, however curated those thoughts are or idealized or not, many of you might also begin to notice sensations in your body at the same time. So while, you know, in whatever area you're exploring, you know, my beauty ideals, you might be hearing in your mind's eye, you know, words, statements around what you think your beauty ideals are. Oh, everybody is acceptable. And I love my body just the way it is. And those are my beliefs. You might be feeling or tuning into in your body, clenching, constriction, almost like your body is rolling its eyes at what your mind is saying. And that is important to drop into as well, because even going back full circle to the definition of beliefs, beliefs occur in our mind, though the repetitive narratives, the sense making of the world around us, and they're registered as feelings in our body. Our body, which is oftentimes the first vessel to register the events around us a lot of times, especially in early childhood, registering them much more accurately than maybe these narrations even are. So a lot of you might find that kind of point of conflict where you're saying or thinking you believe one thing and in your body, your body is telling you through that tension, through that constriction, through maybe even that sickened feeling that you're getting in your stomach as you're going through this exploration, that that's not actually what you believe at all. Embedded in those sensations might be the reality that you actually might think that for other people, but your body is not good enough. Just to go back to that example, you're not worthy the way that you are. You don't look the way that you're supposed to. So while you're saying one thing, your body is indicating your true belief, which is that your body, for whatever reason, given your childhood environments and messaging has been deemed unworthy. And now you believe that to be true. And with practice, you will be able to notice the thoughts that are happening and what you're feeling in your body. If that feels like a lot, even just to hear all at once, that makes sense. This is all entirely new to you. So if something feels hard or overwhelming to reframe that, this is new. I'm really proud of myself for diving into this new 
and not so easy work. You're dealing with a lot when you say, hey, I'm going to objectively and truthfully look at myself and everything that's been buried for decades, decades, if not generations, because the generations before me didn't want to deal with it, Mm -hmm. or I wouldn't be here dealing with the same thing. It wouldn't have been passed down. And to clarify, it's not that the generations before us didn't want to heal or want to do this work. It was different then. We have new tools and access available to us now to have these conversations, to connect with others around the world in half a second, and to really have our own tools to learn and begin this work. So a lot of love to our ancestors and the generations before us, and a lot of love to us now in the present, being the ones who are able to break these cycles. So diving into our categories in the workbook, if you are following along directly, these come directly from page 97. I'm going to read the category and the supportive questions for you to spend in inquiry. As you're hearing these questions or writing them down for later use, pay attention to your thoughts and sensations as well in your physical body. First category, race and ethnicity. What comes to mind when you think about race and ethnicity? How connected are you to your race or ethnicity? What beliefs do you carry about those who look similar to you? What beliefs do you carry about those who don't look like you? Religion or spirituality. Next category. What comes to mind when you think about religion or spirituality? What are your predominant views on religion? What does your connection or non-connection to a higher power, like God, higher power, source, the universe, mean for you? Next category, relationships. What comes to mind when you think about relationships and their purpose? What comes to mind when you think about different roles in relationships? What do you think your role in relationship should be? Gender. What comes to mind when you think about gender and what it means to you? What roles do you think you should take given, oops, sorry. What roles do you think you should take on given your own gender? What gender roles did you see your parents take on? Next category, feelings. Are there certain feelings you think are okay to express? Are there certain feelings you think are not okay to express? Next category is money. When it comes to mind, when money comes to mind, oh, sorry. Next category is money. What comes to mind when you think about money? What does money mean to you? What have you been told about money? Remember to notice what's happening in your physical body as these questions are being asked. Vocation and purpose is our next category. What comes to mind when you think about work, your job, or your career? How, if at all, do you think your deeper passion or purpose is connected to your idea of work or your work experience? Next category is worldview. What do you think about the world? Is it a safe or an unsafe place? Is it just or unjust? Do you think you can make an impact or do you think your actions are meaningless? Next category is sexuality or physical affection. This could also be looked at as intimacy. 
What comes to mind when you think about sexuality and physical affection or contact? What comes to mind when you think about sex or other sexual activities? Last category that we're going to look at today is beauty ideals. What comes to mind when you think about beauty or an ideal physical look? What messages about physical appearance were you given from your parent figures and other loved ones? Thank you for reading those for us, Jenna, and just to share um, some of my quick personal um, historical, I should say, beliefs, because I've seen a lot of change in a lot of these areas. And when I initially went through, um, particularly the money in the worldview pillars jump out at me um, because I know in my childhood home, in my childhood environment, um, where there was a lot of stress, a lot of overwhelming emotions and actually for the very early part of my mom and dad's marriage and relationships, a lot of financial trauma and being born later in life when my mom was 42 years old, by the time I was physically present here within their family, they were in a much more um, stable or secure financial circumstance or setting. But given their early experience within the relationship together, as well as their early experiences in their childhood homes, there was a lot of insecurity around having enough money to pay the bills, to pay all of the, you know, now I did come along very late in life and I had all of these bills associated with, with me and my own care. So what I heard a lot and saw a lot in action was a lot of beliefs around and actions around scarcity, where I would be directly told to worry about money, about this idea that money can and will run out very early on in my private practice when I came home and I told my mom and my dad that I wasn't going to work for anyone else. I was going to have my own shingle, my own practice. And my mom went white as a ghost in the face and looked at me with a shock of a look of alarm and, and asked me very seriously whether or not I, A, felt like I would have enough clients to practice. And when I assured her that I did, and I did create the consistent practice, anytime I would take off time, have a vacation, the holidays would come, my mom would look at me with that same panicked look, fear, that on the other side of however long the break was, the holiday was, that those clients would leave. So similarly, in my own beliefs around money, I had a lot around scarcity. I had a lot of fear that money wouldn't be a stable, secure force in my life. And I saw that in the thoughts in my mind. I saw that in my relationship with money, a lot of constriction, tension, fear. Anytime I would go to make a purchase that I either want it or need it to make. Similarly, I'm connecting these two because when we don't feel safe and secure in our early environments in terms of our worldview, that deep-rooted belief, one of those deep-rooted beliefs I mentioned earlier, I'm not safe, was very much ingrained in my system. I did not feel like the world was a just or a safe place. I felt like certain people were victim to certain circumstances. Again, all narration I heard within my family unit. And I actually didn't feel like I was a participant in the outcomes of what happened. I felt very powerless. Um, like I didn't or couldn't affect change in this very unjust, unsafe world that I was living in. Again, all of this for me came within that messaging, within that early environment, not only what those around me were saying in their own relationships with money, with their self, their person in the world around them. And all of this, again, got stored within me. And as I did this exploration, those are the areas that really came top of mind. Money is scarce. Um, I feel fearful spending money and the world itself is more often than not an unsafe place for me who has little control, if any at all. I appreciate you sharing that. And I 
value so much how contrasting our experiences are often. Though with this and the conversation around money, it's the same sort of scarcity belief. Though for me, that then looked as money is evil or a hatred to money and wanting to keep money away because we didn't have money. Money was the thing that we lacked. And I can imagine through the environment and the stress and frustration and what my parents, I don't remember what they did or didn't say around money other than knowing that we didn't have it. And it was a big point of contention. I look back on some journal entries that I wrote as a teenager and into my 20s about how the world spins better for people that have fuller wallets and how money is the root of all evil. And I wish money was never created. And I see all of these very strong beliefs that directly came from my environment in childhood. So that sort of scarcity in my beliefs around money then came as a hatred to money, which has largely been reformed and reframed for me now where I actually see money as it can be a beautiful energy created in abundance. And the conditioning that I came up with or that I came up in having it so far out of reach kept me in this small conditioned belief box of, well, it's evil because everyone over there has it and I don't. And I'm over here suffering. And if I don't have it, this must just be how it is for me. I can't create a life where I ever can have it because I just wasn't born into that money box. I was over here born into this belief box that it's scarce. We don't have it. Money's evil. Fast forward to today, you know, we run our own business. Money is in abundance. It's given in abundance. It is an energy exchange. None of my beliefs around money now are in alignment with the ones that I spent the first 30 years of my life living from. And this is a great example of that submerged iceberg because for those 30 years, it's not like I had those beliefs and secretly had money the whole time. No, I really believed money was evil. People who had it were bad. It wasn't for me. So subconsciously, all of my actions, all of my choices always kept money at bay. I was always broke. I never had money in my bank account. I was constantly crunching numbers and dimes in my mind. And I would think, what would I create if I didn't spend all of my day thinking about money? Though those beliefs were so strongly running the show that I made sure to keep myself in that scarcity and keep myself away from money because that was my own reticular activating system, scanning my environment year after year after year, finding situations and affirmation where I could affirm and declare to myself that my belief about money being evil is in fact true. So stay broke, keep it away. It's not for you. So these are all opportunities and ways in our own sharing to see Compassion and some love for yourself is, you hear us saying it like a broken record, and that's for a reason, because you may be lifting the veil to a lot of beliefs or things that are true and are there for you, but you're looking at them like, I don't agree with that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be someone who thinks money is evil, though it was really empowering for me to learn that I did have a conditioned belief that that was so. When you can depersonalize and see it for what it is, we then can take all of this information and feedback and really alchemize it into a muscle for our growth so that we can actually create beliefs that are aligned and are ones that we have chosen now in consciousness 
versus the ones we absorbed as the sponge of our childhood mind. I, I love this because what you're really illustrating and to bring this all together, right, is when you're when you're saying feedback, I mean, we could view these repeated thoughts, these narrations, these consistent areas of, you know, constriction or clenching in my body or even the habits, the way while we might say we're abundant in money, I was giggling when you were saying kind of nickeling. I, I used to all the time be tallying the absence of money in my mind throughout my day. Anytime I had to spend or thought I had to spend or was spending money on the whatever you know entity or, or thing it was, that was always happening below the surface. And so it's not surprising that then my actions weren't of abundance in an abundant relationship with money. They were actually impacted by the absence, by money leaving, by the lacking of money. So using all of this, the habitual behaviors, those habitual feelings, you know, kind of soldered into our bodies by now, those trails, um, well-worn trails, right, through the forest of our mind, when we turn our attention and bear non-judgmental witness to what is there, to everything below the iceberg that is creating the current circumstances, then we give ourselves the possibility to create space. Of course, you heard Jenna and myself both mention that in these areas we've come to now over time believe differently. So I don't want to give anyone the impression that signing off of you know this podcast that that's the goal is to now shift right into changing the beliefs that I have until you spend time in that self-witnessing, in that self-awareness, seeing the impact of all that's beneath the iceberg, it's going to be really difficult to change. Because when we're talking about changing, we're actually talking about, you've guessed it, a process of embodying not only the new thoughts, but the actual feelings and actions that go in alignment with these new thoughts. So that happens over time. So we want to pull back. And I hope that those of you who have the workbook, if you haven't yet explored this portion of, I think it's the mental habit self section, again, on page 97, it begins. I welcome you to do so. And if you don't have the workbook, um, you can hit pause, write down these exploratory questions because this is where we begin. There is so much beneath that iceberg that is driving the habits that are creating our life that is really worth pausing to spend the time in the curious exploration of. Thank you all again for tuning in. We will keep these How to Meet Yourself workbook episodes coming by big request from each of you. So if you do have the workbook, we hope it helps guide you. And if you do not have the workbook, How to Meet Yourself, we hope that this still provides you the tools and the concepts and the work in the workbook as our ultimate goal really is to just expand these conversations to as many people as possible and to provide tools that you then can take, keep in your back pocket and choose to use or not. So the goal is to put the information in your hands for you to do whatever you shall with it. And we appreciate immensely you being here, engaging in these conversations with us. Please leave us a review, share with friends, tag us on social media, or drop a comment below on our YouTube channel. We love engaging with you, hearing your feedback, and of course, taking your requests for future episodes. See you next week.